Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 5. The Bible says, For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many, and lords many. But to us, the Bible says, to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Now, today I want to share something very pivotal about our lives of prayer. And this verse for me is going to carry a lot of meaning in the things that I'm going to share. I have been an ardent teacher of praying because I realize that many people don't have the results that they so require because they do not know how to pray. People do not know how to pray. They do not know how to get answers. And because they do not know how to get answers, many people live in circles. They come out of one thing into another. They come out of one frustration into another. They come out of one pain into another. They are praying for things that never get to the end. And because of that, their joy is not full. God has called a Christian to a fullness of joy, that your joy may be full, so the Bible says. But some people do not know how to pray. I have taken time to teach this over the years, and I have a sermon series called Prayer Chords. There are probably eight of them, all right? And in there, I show people the different patterns and principles that undergird the spirit and form of prayer, all right? Because many people claim to be praying to a God who does not hear. And some have even invented reasons of why God doesn't hear. Oh, God will not give you this because it's not in his will, or he'll not do this because he doesn't want you to do that, or because he knows this will do this to you, so he won't give it to you. And we speak all kind of, you know, nonsense about this God because inexcusably, we are without reason of why certain things have not happened. And it's wrong for some people, and many have seen it in the faith for quite some time, who have established realities of truths. And I say that in quotes, based on their personal experiences with God only. Even when they go against the grain of truth and revelation, they still insist on that and establish teachings around some of those things, which I believe can be destructive and become traditions, right? And the word of God is made without effect because of our tradition. You know, tonight I feel that as what God has laid on my heart to do in form and sense is going to recalibrate, it's going to realign somebody into the right direction of prayer, all right? And in Corinthians it says to us, of course, in the world, they be as many called gods and lords, right? Whether in heaven or on earth, wherever it is, as people have their gods and lords. He says, but to us, there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, all right? And we in him, and one Lord Jesus, by whom are all things, and we by him, all right? Now, there is a depth in this that I want to share with you, because this will help you know how to pray. It will help you know how to pray. Okay? Now, when the Bible says that this father, he says, of whom are all things, and we in him, and the Lord Jesus, by whom are all things, the father is the source of all things. Christ is by whom are all things. Okay? And I want you to note that. The Father is of whom are all things. In other words, he's the source. If you read it from the Amplified Version, although there be so many called gods, whether in heaven or earth, as indeed there are many of them, both of gods and of the lords and of masters, he says, but for us there is only one God, the Father, listen, who is the source of all things, of whom we have life, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through and by whom are all things, and through and by whom we ourselves exist, all right? So when we are talking about our relationship with the Father, 
and the Son, Jesus, and the person of the Holy Spirit, you must know their places of function, all right? They are one, okay? But they choose to function a certain way to us. And here, the Father is the source of all things, all right? By whom are all things? That's the Father, all right? It's of whom are all things, from whom are all things. It's the source of all things. So everything we need is from the Father. All right? And Jesus is by whom or through whom are all things. I want you to note that. So Jesus is the person through or by whom we get to the Father from whom are all things, who is the source of all things. Okay? So if I need a car, it comes from the Father through Jesus. Okay? If I need a house, it comes from the Father through Jesus. If I need healing, it comes from the Father through Jesus. You understand? Sometimes we might say, oh, you know, Jesus did this for me. And we are right in the sense that God the Father and the Holy Spirit are one. We can say the Holy Spirit did this for me. Jesus did this for me. Father God did this for me. But in reality, as we continue to grow and understand how this works, even our language is fine-tuned to say the things we must say. Okay? the right way we must say them because that is the way they are, okay? God the Father is the person from whom all things are. He is the source of everything. He's the source of everything. Even when the Christ was on the earth, he said, by myself I can do nothing, all right? He says, I do as I see the Father do, all right? He's instructed of God. Yes, he is Jesus, but he says, but of myself, John 5, 30, I do nothing of myself, all right? He says, as I hear, as I judge. In other words, it's not entirely in my own power and will to do. I'm subject to the source from whom are all things, and that is God the Father. I'm the mediator of this covenant between you and the Father. You can only get to the Father through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father except by me. He says, all right? So Jesus Christ is by and through whom we get to the Father of whom are all things, the source of all things, all right? The source of all things, the source of all things. The Holy Spirit is the helper in connecting to the person of Christ and the Father, all right? He helps us in prayer. But say sometimes we know not how to pray as we ought to pray. But it's the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to teach us, this is how you pray. This is how you do whatever you do. You understand what I'm saying? For you to connect to the person of Jesus Christ. However, these three are one. Okay? And so, if I say the Father taught me, the Spirit taught me, yes, Jesus taught me. But as you continue to grow, you understand exactly what their functions are, even though they are one, okay? If my household, if my son donates something, and they say, oh, the household of Lubega has donated son, it would be true, all right? But specifically, who in the household of Mr. Lubega took that hand in donation is probably my son or my daughter, you see? But it would be right to say Mr. Lubega gave because it came from his household. All right? But sometimes we need specifications to give deeper understandings of truths that sometimes, if not taken time to be specified, sometimes confuse people in the total scheme of things when they pray. All right? And I'm going to show you the importance of that. In Acts chapter 17, verses 30, uh, God makes a very intense statement, a very powerful statement, very glorious reality. And he says, and in the times of ignorance, God winked at, or he winked at men in the times of ignorance, all right? And the Bible says, but now he commandeth all men everywhere to repent. This is a principle in God the Father, that he winks at ignorance, all right? He does not observe certain things when he's dealing with an ignorant man. He does not give attention to certain things when he's dealing with an ignorant man, all right? For example, years ago, I remember I was at my workplace, 
back in the day. And then I had a friend of mine who I know very well. And this person brought a little kid, very young kid, probably about two years old, this little girl. She was very skinny, small, little, tiny girl. And then I approached this kid and I shook and I said, hey, how are you? And the little kid looked at me and told me, I will beat you. Okay, this is very little, small, very tiny thing. She looked at me and told me, I'll beat you. I don't know who told her how to say that. But would I take that personal? Would I look at this kid and say, hey, uh -huh, okay, cross the line now. Let's see who's going to fight. No, because I know that this child is speaking in ignorance. There's nothing in her little body, right, that can have the energy enough to even move one of my parts of the body. I knew that, that she cannot move my foot or hand. This was a little kid saying that I will beat you. Little kid, small little kid. I admired her confidence, okay? But I could not help to think that, well, this is a child. She's speaking as a child, all right? Now, you'd be emotionally unstable to pick up fight with that little thing. And there are people who are like that. They're so emotionally unstable that they can take it so seriously and even fall fix and say, hey, Okay, start. You understand? But because this was a child, I had the ability to wink. All right? When a little child spoils themselves where they're not supposed to be doing their stuff, you wink. Because they're children. When they grow up, they'll never do that. Okay? They'll never do that. I have a little nephew. Uh, one time, he got my car. Okay? And got a very funny rug and started cleaning it that is cleaning uncle's car. So I come out and the car was scratched, all right, because the rug he was using had a lot of stone in it. So the car was scratched, okay? But I see the love in which he did that. So I cannot get him and, you know, slap him around and tell him, hey, couldn't you see? Because his brain is not able to comprehend that he's scratching my car. All I could see was the love, all right? in which he was trying to do his dues to clean the car for uncle so uncle would be happy with him because I'd given him a piece of cake. So, so it is with our lives that when we are born again and we are young in the faith, there are things we do, okay? And God winks. He just does not observe. He looks away. He ignores because of your ignorance, all right? But when you come to full knowledge, he says, but now, the Bible says, he commandeth all men everywhere to repent. The Greek word is metanoia, to change your mind. So he's saying, look, now I command you. I'm not asking you. I don't advise you. I command you to change your mind. Because a lot of stuff has happened. I have provided for a lot enough for you to act up. Okay. So when a child grows up to a certain age and they're doing stuff you don't expect them to do, you command them until I don't want to see you do this anymore because I have taught you enough, you're mature enough to discern good and bad, right and wrong. We don't want you to go this way anymore. If a child should insist on that, then they're in trouble with a parent or the parent should worry because sometimes you ask yourself, is my child able to help it? If they're able to help it, then I have to do everything in my power too. But if they're not able to help it, then it's probably a clinical issue. It's more serious than what meets the eye, you see? So even us in our childhood, God winks. He does not look sometimes. He does not observe our ignorance in the way we do some stuff. But as we continue to grow, he commands us and says, uh -uh, now you have matured enough to know how to pray, to know how to say certain things, to know how to relate a certain way, to know how to follow the patterns. When you were younger, you did not know which came first. But now as you know, okay, the order is revealed to you. Divine order is a revelation. Luke says you get to understand the certainty of the things in which you've been instructed. All right? He says that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. You understand the certainty of things. Because you've understood the order of all things. Like Luke says, from the first all through. When you understand divine order, God says, now I command you, follow my order. Follow my order. Follow my order. Albeit when we're speaking to them which are babes, sometimes we might speak to them from where they're able to understand God. But that doesn't mean that in our spirits of understanding, we have lost the order. Okay? Sometimes when I'm praying for people who are sick, I say, God is going to heal you. 
But in actual sense, God healed them. But when I go to their level, because that's the only thing they'll understand, or I'll need to go back so far to help them understand what I mean, then sometimes in simplicity, I'll tell them, you know what? God is going to heal you. And I pray for them. They see the manifestation of that healing. Good, thank God. But if I had time, I'll tell them, you are actually healed. What we're going to do is a manifestation of that. If I have the time, I explain it. But sometimes I don't have the time to explain. And I see that the disease is killing this individual. But because I can go to that level, it doesn't mean that that is where I'm at. Okay? It doesn't mean that that's where we are. Sometimes there are healthy compromises that cause us to wink when we're dealing with the immature. All right? When we're dealing with the immature. So when we uh, touch the ignorance that has been in the church for years, it's not so much God's challenge when you're saying, oh, this person is dealing with ignorance. All right? Sometimes the problem or the challenge with God is that in this winking away, in this refusing to take offense, in this patience, all right? We've seen people who design and build doctrines and then establish them as truth, okay? So we have people who have constructed doctrines around God's patience in their ignorance. I don't know if that made sense. They have constructed doctrines around God's patience, touching their ignorance. So he sees that they're ignorant and then he becomes patient with them. And because they've not come to full maturity of understanding the truth, many of them think, ah, this is actually how God deals. And then because of that, they construct doctrines around that. And these become traditions, the very things that have destroyed the fiber of society when it comes to church. The reason why people don't have results, people pray. People go to overnights of prayer. People spend countless nights of prayer. People fast year in, year out. People do all. There are people right now who are watching me and you have prayed. You really pray. If there is a person who prays, you probably pray more than the most praying person that I know. But you don't have the results of your prayer. You don't have the results of your prayer. Why? Because you are ignorant of how to pray. You're ignorant of how to pray, okay? And because of these doctrines that we have placed around, many people are short-circuited in prayer. The power of God cannot have its full course and effect in your life, in your prayer. Your prayer is not effective. It's not a prayer that is fervent enough to move stuff in the spirit realm. It's just empty blubber like a child speaking. That's not how God has called the believer to be. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 6, and I'll read for you from the Amplified Version. This is God instructing us in how we pray. All right? He says, but when you pray, okay, go into your most private room and closing the door, listen, pray to your father. Pray to your father. Do not pray to Jesus. Pray to your Father. Do not pray to the Holy Spirit. He can wink because you're ignorant, but he says, pray to your Father. Speak to him as your Father. That's how you go to the presence of God. You pray to him as your Father. Okay? And the Bible says, and your Father, who sees in secret, the Bible says, will reward you in the open. Okay, And because you're talking to your father, verse 7, he says, when you pray, do not heap up phrases, multiply words, repeating the same ones over and over as the Gentiles do. For they think they will be hard for their much speaking. Right? Because you're talking to your father. God is saying, do not repeat yourselves. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. He's your father. He's your father. He knows what you need before you ask him. And pray therefore like this. He told his disciples, our father. When you pray, pray like this. Our father, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And it goes on. Our father. Our father. You speak to the father. You talk to him as your father. The life of prayer is a relationship with the father. All right. It's a relationship with the Father. Now, why is this important? Okay? He has given the place of where people repeat themselves. But do you know how many people have formed doctrine about persistent repeated prayer? 
because they don't see the holistic picture of who they're dealing with. If the God you are asking of already knows what you are going to ask him for, okay? One, you must know how to ask it. But two, he says, I'm not interested in you coming in my presence to repeat prayers over and over and over like the Gentiles, the heathen do. You're dealing with the Father, okay? You're dealing with your Father. He knows what you need even before you ask it. Also, you say, oh, so there's no need of asking because he knows what I need. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying because you know that I know what you need, know how to ask it. Know how to talk to me about it. Okay? You just need to know how to talk to me about it, says the Father. All right? So he's talking about our relationship with the Father. The life of prayer is a relational life with the Father. Okay? One time I prayed for somebody and a great miracle happened and somebody sends me a message and says, Apostle, I want the exact words you prayed when you're praying for this person because they think that the power is in the exactness of the words that I spoke when I was praying for the individual. Newsflash. It's not in the exactness of the words that I spoke when I was praying for the individual. No. It's in the relationship that I share with the Father when I'm praying for the individual. All right? There are places in the scripture where Jesus doesn't even say much and the miracle happens. Okay? At the raising of Lazarus, the Bible says Jesus sighed. He groaned in his heart. Then he walks to the tomb and tells this man, Lazarus, come forth. But because he had a certain relationship with the Father, all he had was to give thanks. He groans in the Spirit. And that was enough to make the most powerful prayer to the Father because of the relationship he has. There are many times I have not been able to articulate the stuff that I need the way I need it. But in the simple sigh, my father understands, and the next thing I know, this thing comes. And I know that many of you who are watching me right now relate with that. Places where you even thought of a thing and it was done for you. And sometimes some of you miss the point that in there you actually prayed a certain way. But because it was so deeply relational, you did not take note of the pattern of prayer. But in there, the heart that connects you to the father was so distinctive that it brought the answer. And he brought the answer. Okay? And I know why people repeat these prayers and repeat themselves over and over. All right? Because they get some scriptures and put them out of context and make them say what they really are not saying. Oh, you remember the story in the Gospels of the evil judge. Okay? A woman comes to this evil judge and pleads the case. Oh, one time he doesn't hear her. Two times this widow comes and this evil judge does not listen. Three times until the judge is tired. He says, okay, you be answered, right? And so some people have built doctrines around that and they're saying, you know, keep asking, keep asking, keep asking and asking and asking and asking and asking. Eventually, God will answer you. And God can answer such a man in his ignorance. He can win. He can look away. He will not take offense because he's ignorant. But there comes a point where this man should know that this is not how you get stuff from God the Father. And if you get to that level where now God expects that you should know better, all right, there is no provision for you in the spirit realm. Because he's saying, look, now you're mature. You ought to know how to do what to do. I winked and gave you answers when you were ignorant. But now in the place of your knowledge, I cannot come to you again to that level. That will be spoiling you. And our God is not a God that spoils men. It's like a child who should at a particular level be able to dress themselves. If your 10-year-old, 14-year-old boy walks to you and tells you, Mommy, dress me up. And then you dress them up because you love them then as a parent, you have a problem. Because at that age, 10, 12, 14, a child should be able to dress themselves up. Hello? Now, if you cannot dress them up at 12 or 13, if they are normal, if they are normal children and there's nothing, you know, mentally wrong with them, what makes you think that God will dress you up if you've gone to the level where you ought to know how to dress yourself up? And some people, that is the war that they're dealing with in the spirit.
That's the war. Your issue is not even the demonic curse, the demons of your uncle, the family curses. You know, one time I was dealing with a Christian who had to drive back to the village so they would break stuff. I, <laughs> I said, oh God. So you think that you need to drive 400 kilometers away to fix demonic stuff? Yes, they can go and get the answer in their level of ignorance. But when God has given you enough, and he knows he has given you enough through his teachers, his men of God, his ministers, and the stuff he has exposed you to, all right, he will grow silent on you because he doesn't know how to deal with you after all you've heard. And some people are in perpetual lives of failing to get results, not because God does not answer them, but because he does not classify them in the space of ignorant anymore. He gave them quite enough that they ought to know. They simply choose to stay simple in a time when God needs a certain subtlety of the spirit. He's not going to come to your level and breastfeed you again when he knows that you're past breastfeeding. No. So, Every time you sit under a teacher and you're listening to the word and learning, I want you to note that God will hold you accountable for the stuff you know. Although ignorance is more expensive. Hello? Because some people think, ah, so then why shouldn't I reduce what I know so God doesn't hold me accountable? What I know only means you're going to stay a babe. And if you stay a babe, okay, even though you're heir of all things, people will be in charge of your stuff. All right? That's what Galatians says. He says, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant. You stay like a slave, though he be lord of all. All right? And because of that, that person, you're going to be always put under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. What is the responsibility of these tutors and governors? They're people spiritually who God will entrust with your stuff while he waits for you to grow. That's a bad place to be. That's why you have no choice except to grow. You have no choice except to grow. Because somebody's in charge of your stuff. What if they misuse it? What if they misuse it? Right? What if they abuse it? What if they take advantage of it? Because if they have your stuff, it means it actually benefits them at the point where you are. They can only hand over enough for you that it's enough for you as a child. And God has not called a Christian to live that life. I want you to understand me. He's not called a Christian to live that life. Okay? Now, so when he says, pray and say, our father, he expects that you're supposed to be relating with him as your father, all right? But when the disciples come to him, teach us to pray, and then he gives them that prayer, they called it the Lord's Prayer. People called it the Lord's Prayer. That was not the Lord's Prayer. Oh, but it's the Lord's Prayer. Who told you it's the Lord's Prayer? Is that Jesus' own prayer? Or it's the prayer he gave them to pray where they were at, you see, you must understand from where the disciples prayed from, okay, and where they were at in life. One, these disciples that were being taught to pray were not born again. They were not a new creation. Jesus had not purchased our eternal salvation. He hadn't, okay? They were a fallen nature, 100%. Their spirits were inactive. Their souls were dead in trespass, but they were relating with light, okay? So he tells them, pray this way, all right? He's helping men who don't know God a certain way because they don't have the experience of the new birth, how they should pray, okay? Jesus, I believe, has one particular prayer that I know is his. It's in John 17. That's his prayer. I can call that the Lord's Prayer because this is Jesus praying to the Father concerning his life, the church of Jesus Christ, those that should believe after. He says, neither do I pray for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. This is him, Jesus, praying for the church. That is the Lord's prayer. It's one of the prayers of the Lord. This is Jesus speaking to the Father. All right? But the prayer that is given earlier is not his prayer. No, it is the prayer he gave his disciples to pray. All right? So that's why when we say our father, yes, he has kept the pattern of the father. That prayer could give you pattern, but it's not the standard of the New Testament. For example, when you say thy kingdom come. All right? Do you know that the kingdom of God is come? It is come. It is here. When was it executed? 
at the death and resurrection of the Christ, the kingdom of God came. All right? We are of the kingdom of God. When he came on the earth, he said, I'm bringing a kingdom. I'm bringing a kingdom. John the Baptist is telling them, repent ye, for the kingdom of God is here. Jesus Christ is dead and is raised up to glory. Then the kingdom comes. Then they were praying for it to come. Now the kingdom is here. It's here. You are children of the kingdom. You belong to the kingdom already. So his kingdom is come. So there are tenants, there are patterns in the prayer that are necessary. But not all of the things said in that prayer are applicable in the New Testament dispensation. But I know that that can disturb a person who is so taken by tradition that they're not willing to even think this through for a moment. All right? Who are not able to think this through for a moment. All right? Somebody says, delivers from evil. The Bible says, he has delivered us from all that would harm us. It's a finished work in Christ, but not many people know that we've actually been delivered. Oh, so does that mean you don't cast out devils? I do cast out devils up to today. But why do I cast out devils? Because we still have many people who have not yet understood that they are free. Some people say, oh, are you against deliverance? Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Watch any video of Fanero. You see people coughing, stuff screaming out. Because, you know, I would rather deliver the person in prayer, all right, while I wait for them to come to the realization of who they are, than, you know, simply impose it on them before they understand it and they die in my hands. So that is why I still do, you know, deliverance. But not because I do not know the reality of what Christ has done, but I'm still being patient with the ignorant and wait for them to get to where we're supposed to be because we might lose them if we also stay so pompous in one direction of being overinflated in what we know, that we cannot go down to help those that need to know the way they need to know, all right? It's called the patient endurance, the long-suffering of the Lord, the long-suffering of the Lord. It's part, most especially, of the apostolic. When they speak of the apostolic office, they speak of the patience. You know, it's patient. You're patient with people, all right? Now, back to what I'm trying to tell you. So the Lord's Prayer is not what you, many people, call the Lord's Prayer. It's not what many people call the Lord's Prayer. It's what he gave them at that particular point. But also, when they're dealing with God, the Father, some people have a very twisted understanding of the Father. Because every time they think about God, the Father, they imagine their earthly fathers, the picture of their neighbor's fathers, their guardian, their stepfathers, and they think that's where God is. No, God is not where your earthly father is. He's a different father. All right? And in Matthew chapter 7, from about the 7th verse, all right, he's instructing again. And he says, ask, and it shall be given you. He says, seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone, everyone that asketh, receiveth. Powerful. Okay, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. And then he asks a fundamental question. He's trying to get you to see why some of you don't have results, why you don't see results, because you don't see him the way you should. He says, what man is there of you, okay, whom if his son ask bread, he will give him a stone, or if he ask a fish, he will give him a serpent. And Jesus asks, if ye then being evil, and I want you to underline, he's talking about evil men, all right? If ye being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, he says, how much more shall your father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? But do you know some versions use the words, keep asking him? as though it has to be repeated. No, he's not talking about the repetitiveness of the asking. He's talking about the constant dependence of turning to the Father for anything you need when you need a thing. That's the constant asking. It doesn't mean that we're repeating the same prayer 
okay? Because he has not answered it, but it only means we keep turning to him every time we ask, every time we seek, every time we knock, he's always there to answer. That's the true interpretation. But then he's brought an idea here. He said, if you are flea fathers, okay? He says, if your son asks for bread, do you give him a stone? If he asks for fish, do you give him a snake? And he says, if you being evil, because you're not born again, yet doesn't matter how good you are, okay? You're evil if you're not born again. It's the only thing that can change that is from darkness to light. It's simple. It's simple, okay? Because in your perfect humanness, you will still fall short. There's only one person who can complete us, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. There is no name, the Bible says, under the earth by which men are saved, but through the name of Jesus Christ. No name is given among men whereby anybody must be saved. But it's that name, Jesus. If you don't have that, it doesn't matter how good you are. Your goodness is not going to take you to heaven. Your good works are not going to earn you salvation. No, it is your faith in Christ that earns you salvation. I hope you understand that, right? But let's go back. He says, you earthly parents, evil men. He calls them evil because they are after the fallen nature, the Adamic. He says, if you know how to give good gifts, all right? Now, for me, when I read Matthew 7 years ago, I looked at my father, all right? And sadly, some people are not lucky. Some of you, you know, sadly were not raised by fathers. It's not your fault. It's a sad experience. And some of you probably were raised by the wrong example. Of fathers. I was counseling a girl the other day and she told me her father was using her since she was about nine or ten. He was sleeping with her, all right, until the age of 12 or 13. She had a wrong example of a father and it messed up a big part of her life, right? So later on, I think she comes to the ministry. I adopted her, but just taking her time to heal because she had a wrong example of a father, all right? But I can give testimony because I have a biological father who is alive. Right? And if there are men in this world who love me, my biological father loves me. I know it. I know it. Since we were little, we had a relationship with him. Okay? And then some of you can attest to that. And he would come back, he ran to him and hug him. And I remember when I was little, you know, and just be around him. It's just the relationship children have with their fathers. Right? Every time when I was little and I was sick, used to come by my bedside and sit there for hours, just look at me, you know, and wait for me to heal, all right? He would sit with me in the hospitals. He was there for me. I had a father who was present. I have a father who is present till today in my life. He's a present person, okay? But I saw the sacrifices he gave for me, the things he was willing to do because he wanted me to have a good education. He wanted me, you know, to fly and soar. He wanted the best for me. I have been blessed in this life to have a very wonderful dad, very wonderful man, all right? And I saw him even in the times when his finances were not stable. He was willing to sell anything for his children to go to the best schools. He was willing to sell anything. I saw him sell properties for us to go to the best schools, okay? I saw him you know, change lifestyles for us to have a better life. I saw him, you know, wake up late in the night and, you know, go many days to work because his children had to have a meal. I saw how he looks at me, okay, when I needed something. I know how he misses me and he still calls me on a weekly. That's the man that I have. He's my father. I am persuaded that there was nothing and there is nothing in the hand and ability of my father that he is and was able to give me and he could not have given me. I remember one time I was walking on the streets. I'd gone to see him at his workplace a couple of years ago. And I remember we fell in an ambush, you know, a crazy ambush. During that time, there were very big riots in the city and police were everywhere. And so these guys find a group of young people and then they round them up. And in that surrounding, I was actually in that group. I was just walking through. I was not part of the rioting group. I was just walking through. And my dad was as well coming from the other side of the street and he saw me. And so as he crossed, coincidentally, within seconds, we see police coming and they had these huge sticks and they were hitting everybody on their heads on the wall. I saw young men bleeding and stuff like that. And I remember, I will never forget the many things I can forget, but this I'll never forget. And I remember a man gets this huge, stick and he swings it towards me he was gonna hit me on my head because he thought I was among the protesters and I remember my father ran so fast and he came screaming 
Because that's my son, that's my son. And I don't know what he thought that would mean to the man who was going to hit me, but he kept screaming, that's my son. For me, when I thought it back, I understood what my father meant. My son is different. He's not these guys. My son can't be doing that. But he screamed, my son, my son. And I remember when he gets close to me like that, he covers me like this. Because he's thinking, if this guy is not hard, at least let him take the beating. By the time we get to understand what's happening, he has the beating on my behalf. He did not even care for his life. That's the man that has fathered me. Okay? And to think that he could have given his life for me, to think that there is nothing I ever asked of my father, my biological father, and he was in his ability and will and way to do, and he was not able to give me. He gave me everything. He gave us everything as a home. He loves his children from the first to the last. But the fact that he could give us everything in his own ability to give us as our father, to think that even in his best giving, he could not match Father God. He could not match that God in heaven. I started to think, what is so big for you, Father God in heaven, not to give me? What can you ever do for me? What in the world is so far from your hand to give me? If my earthly father could have given me anything, if it was in his will, of course, he's a natural man. He was limited in his giving. And I know some of you relate with what I'm saying. You've seen your parents sweat. You've seen men putting on torn shoes and trousers and walking days because they need you to have an education. They need you to stand. And I cannot say that's all how all fathers are, but at least the man that raised me is like that. And some of you can relate with that. And God said, if they know how to give good gifts in their own natural carnal way, he says, how much your heavenly father, how much more will he give good things to you if you ask? And this one, the heavenly one, even knows before you ask. And we have to underline that because when the covenant changes, the narrative also changes as well. Right? But if I think for a moment that my biological father would do that, and I think of my heavenly father, and I'm thinking, this one, the heavenly one, is far to be compared to my athlete. My athlete could fail, though he never failed to do what he could in his own power. And this heavenly father has everything. He has all things. I know that my biological father loves me. He could give a life for me. How much more the heavenly father? How much more the heavenly father? Right? That's why when Paul says that for this cause I bow my knees to the Father, he speaks of how he bows his knees to the Father of heaven, from whom all fatherhood derives its name. All fatherhood derives its name. All fatherhood derives its name. So even the greatest fathers in the world, there is this God, the Father, from whom all fatherhood derives its name. That's why he puts his feet. That's why he bows, Ephesians 3.15. That's why he bows. That's why he bows. So when Jesus is speaking to us somewhere in John chapter 16, verses 23, we see Jesus' personal charge, his personal charge in the Amplified Version. And when that time comes, he's talking about the time period after his death and resurrection when the kingdom is ushered in the earth and regeneration takes place by faith in him and we behold the testimony of the new creation, the regenerated man in Christ. He says, when that time comes, which is now, or from the time of his resurrection, right? We can talk about that particular time. He says, when that time comes, he says, you will ask nothing of me. You will ask nothing of me. You will ask nothing of me. This is Jesus charging you. Don't be so unstable to miss this. This is Jesus telling you, you will ask me or of me nothing. Because he says, you will need to ask me no questions. All right? And he says, I assure you, most solemnly, he says, I tell you that my father will grant you whatever you ask in my name as presenting all that I am. As presenting all that I am. He'll give you everything you ask in my name. Remember how Paul says it? He says, the father of whom are all things 
and Jesus by whom or through whom are all things. He says, now you will simply use me, the Christ, my name, my person, as presenting who I am to the Father, and then ask the Father. Don't ask me. Ask the Father. Ask the Father. You can say, oh, Jesus, please help me and give me a job. You understand? In your ignorance, he might wink and give you a job, but from today, he says, you shall ask the Father of the job in my name. In my name. And he says, I assure you most certainly that uh, my Father will grant whatsoever ye ask in my name as presenting all that I am. He's telling you this is how you have to do it. Present me as all that I am to the Father and ask in that name. He says, he will give you whatsoever you desire. All right? And he continues to say, up to this time, you have not asked a single thing in my name as presenting all that I am. Not just in my name, as presenting all that I am. So I think that emphasis for me is important because some people say, oh, in the name of Jesus, I ask for this and you still don't get it because you're not presenting the Christ as he is. All right? As he is. If you read the Amplified, that I am is capital. All right? The godliness of the person of Christ. The mystery of godliness in the person of Christ. That's what he says. But now ask and keep on asking and you will receive so that your joy, gladness, delight may be full and complete. He says, I have told you these things in parables, veiled language, allegories, dark sayings. He says, the hour is now coming when I shall no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I shall tell you about the Father in plain words and openly without reserve. Because his primary ministry was the Father. So I don't understand how men of God present themselves in that place and choose to be the mystery and not the Father. Okay? And he continues to say, at that time, you will ask, pray in my name. And I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Okay? For it will be unnecessary. Please, Jesus, ask God for me. He says, it is unnecessary. It's not that I cannot, but it's unnecessary. Okay, he says, for the Father himself tenderly loves you. He loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from the Father. He has loved you. So he's saying, now believe that because he loves you as he has loved me, Jesus says, you will not need to ask me anything. Don't ask me, oh, oh, Jesus, I need this. Oh, give me this. No. Our relationship with the Father, Jesus has expressed very clearly. You go through my name, through my name. When you have experiences with the person of Christ, I've had a few of them, you realize those experiences you'll have with the person of Christ will still be the revelation of the heart of the Father. The teaching of the Holy Spirit is the revelation of the heart of the Father. Jesus is a very important aspect because he is the person that comes in the flesh nature of the Father. For it pleased the Father that in him would dwell all the fullness of God bodily. And then he becomes the ultimate sacrifice. That is his function. All right? So if he ever liveth to make intercession for the saints, his intercession is not touching your need. Because he says you cannot go to the Father and ask him your need and ask me to ask him because it's not necessary. So Jesus cannot do unnecessary stuff. So if we're talking about the intercession of the Christ for the saints, it's not touching their needs. No, it's touching the realm of knowledge and understanding. It's not touching their needs. It's touching the realm of knowledge and understanding. If Christ was to pray for you to the Father, he would not pray, oh, Father, give him a car. Because it says in that day, you will not ask me to ask the Father on your behalf. That's unnecessary. It's unnecessary for me to ask the Father on your behalf. But if he should live to intercede, his intercession would be like, Father, give him understanding or give her understanding to know the right way he or she should come to you through me. That's the intercession of Christ. Some people think when he says he'll ever leave it to him, make intercession, he's there praying and you know you have a disease and he's in the corner saying, Father, he loved disease, he loved disease. Wait, wait. He was wounded for your transgressions, bruised for your iniquities, the chastisement of your peace was upon him. This is by his stripes ye were healed. Peter says, by his stripes ye were healed. So the Christ cannot go to the Father to intercede for your healing. And neither is he going to say, oh, I'm going to heal you. 
No, he is simply manifesting what he did for you long ago. The manifestation of that healing is something he did at the cross. He says, I healed you, right? So you cannot pray, oh, heal, uh, Susan. Susan, you were healed. You were healed. You were healed at the ultimate sacrifice. So he would pray, give Susan the understanding that she was healed. That's a prayer that Christ can pray for you now, not your particular need. Because all things have been given to you in Christ. The person of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, he reveals the things that were freely given to us by Christ. By Christ. All right? So, they were given unto us by the Father, God. So, you must know how this works if you will have an effectual life of prayer. Okay? That is why, if the Father you are asking already knows what you're going to ask, and you must know how to ask. All right? But you must also, he said, if you go through or by the name of Christ, you must go presenting Christ as he is. You must understand, that's what he means, the full ministry and function and place of the Christ in human history. Why did Jesus come? He came to seek and save the lost heal the sick, to give them life, to make dead men live. I'm calm, he says, that you might have life and life to the fullest. That is why he came. All right? So when you go to the Father, in the name of Jesus, you go presenting Jesus as the one that came to give you life. Did he give you life when you became born again? Yes, he gave you life. It's how you use that life, but the life is available. So when you go to the Father, you go to the Father as one who has received life in Christ. Now, if you need healing for your body, that manifestation of healing in the body, but you know that in presenting Christ, you are reminded in what he did at the cross. Peter says, by his stripes, ye were healed. It's a past tense at the cross, right? And you understand what was done at the cross. And you know that the Father you go to knows what you need, all right? But in the knowledge of what you need, it's all subject to the revelation of the Christ and his work on the earth. The Father knows that the healing you're seeking for was already provided for by Christ. And so because he knows that the healing you're seeking for was already provided for by Christ, and if you come without that knowledge to the Father and say, in the name of Jesus, then he doesn't know how to relate with you because you're asking of him what he already did in Christ. You know, you should not be ignorant because you're a new creation. Hello? But if you come presenting Christ as all that I am, right? As all that God, as everything that he is and has in the face of the Father, in the expression of the Father. He's the express image of God. He's everything. The fullness of God is in him. He is life. He is light. You know, he's the word made flesh. If you understand Christ holistically, you go to God in the knowledge of the person of Christ. And if you go to him, you would know that he knows that you need healing and that you know that he also knows that your healing was provided for by Christ. And you're presenting this Christ as one who purchased your eternal salvation and was wounded and bruised and is chastised for your peace. By his stripes you are healed. And when you come and you know that the Father knows and the Father knows that you know, and you come in the name of Jesus, presenting him with a full revelation of what Christ has done. When you come to the Father, you don't come as a beggar. You don't come as a victim. You don't come desperate. You come with a certain understanding and revelation. That's why Paul says, in the bliss of whom we cry, Abba, Father. Because every time we get into the place of crying out, Abba, Father, it's a bliss. The Romans 8.15, Amplified Bible. It's a bliss. It's not a complaint. It's not a victimized mentality. It's not a disadvantaged position. Oh, Abba, Father, I know that you love me. I know that there is no way you cannot answer me. If my earthly father could answer this and fight my battles, how much more you who is my heavenly father? And I know what you've done by Christ. For he came to deliver us from darkness into his marvelous light. 
in Luke, he says that you being free and delivered from all your enemies, that you should serve God, that you would be delivered. So I know that I am delivered out of the hand of all my enemies and I serve God without fear. I've come in the full revelation of the person of Jesus Christ. And so because I know that you, Father God, cannot deny me based on the things that I present in Christ and I present the Christ in the revelation of everything he has done touching my healing. Therefore, I find that the heart that has attained to this maturation or maturity comes with a thanksgiving. That is why when Paul is speaking in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18, he says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. Now look at how then this prayer changes in the New Testament. After the death and resurrection of the Christ, the kingdom is come. In that day, the Christ spoke about. See how Paul relates to the Father. He says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says, Speaking to yourselves in hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs, uh-huh, singing and making melody in your heart, to the Lord, listen, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why are we giving thanks? Because we know his answer and we know that the answer is yeah and amen for all things in Christ, in Christ, a yeah and amen to the glory of the Father. So we know that everything we ask, okay, to Christ is here because we know why he came. He came that we might have life and life to the fullest, that we might have joy, full, unspeakable, overflowing, until it overflows us. Superabundant joy and victory is in Christ. So we know we present Christ as he is, that God, that person, that one with God in the three-personness of God that did his part for me to have everything that I so desire and he has purchased my eternal salvation, blessed me with every spiritual blessing the heavenly blessing in Christ. He has given me everything that pertains to life and godliness. On the cross he said it is finished. So I come with the revelation presenting the Christ, all that he is in God. Okay, and then I come to the Father, and when I use that name, that name in the name of Jesus, I know what he has done and what that does to the Father when he knows that I know. And he cannot hold back his miracle. He cannot hold back his answer to me. So the next thing I know, I must understand that I can only be in a thanksgiving mode when I'm approaching the Father because I approach him in the revelation of the Christ through and by him. Okay? So you see, when you're singing hymns and psalms, making melody in your heart with thanksgiving, that thanksgiving means you have matured in the revelation of approaching the Father in the name or by Christ. Okay? When Paul gets to that maturity as a man as well, you start to see that his writings change, especially in the book of Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 3, he says, We give thanks to God. And the Father of our Lord Jesus, praying always for you. When we are praying for you, we're giving thanks. We're giving thanks to our Father God, the Father of our Lord Jesus. When we go to the Father for you, we give thanks because we know how to pray through that name. All right. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 12, he says, Giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And he continues to speak of all the benefits of everything we've obtained in Christ. But he began from giving thanks. Giving thanks, giving thanks, all right? In Colossians 3.17, and whatsoever you do, whatsoever you do in word or deed, he says, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. You see, whatsoever you do, whatsoever word you do, he's saying, do all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. How easy is that? Very easy. So you cultivate a relationship with the Father through Christ. You learn to relate with Christ from whom he is and what he is doing and what he came to do. You relate with the person of the Holy Spirit according to who he is and why he's on the earth. You relate with the Father according to who he is. Yet these three are one. They are not separate. 
No, but they want to relate with you as one, but in the different facets of their places and responsibility over you. That's the completeness of God. All right? So, even when Paul is praying for the church in Ephesians, ever since we heard of your faith and love towards saints, we don't cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in our prayers. That the Lord then continues to pray, but you see, the thanks is there. So, we're not emphasizing a place of thanking to receive, but we're emphasizing the place of thanking as a proof of your maturity, your maturation in this mystery. So when I go to the Father, this is how I pray. Oh, Father, I thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you for life. Thank you for peace. Thank you for victory. Thank you for glory. Thank you for answered prayer. All right? If there's pain in my body, I say, Father, I thank you. Because I know what you did by Christ. You never lie. He was wounded for my transgressions. I know by his stripes I was healed. This is a lie. I don't believe it. I thank you, Father because you made this possible. I thank you because that pain goes. Devil, you have no legal right on this body. And that's how I profess it. Oh, what if you wake up tomorrow with more pain, right? Father, I thank you because the first time I prayed, you heard me. I'm just thanking you now. Oh, what if you wake up the fifth day? You don't go back again and repeat the same prayer you made the first day. No, from then on after that prayer, it's thanksgiving to the end the exercising of yourself in the things you so know that are true and are done and not to be like the Gentile that thinks he has to repeat that over and over for the Father to understand. If people only knew who God the Father is, that is why it was the heart of the Christ to show us plainly the Father. People judge God and judge you or anybody because they don't know who they are. God has been judged so ruthlessly, so disrespectfully, because they do not know who God is. They do not know who God is. And you can also be judged and will always be judged when people don't know who you are. You understand what I'm saying? So it's this thing here that get to know who the Father is. Create a relationship with the Father. Love him, fall in love with him. Enjoy a relationship with him. The life of prayer, some people, every time they start praying, it's the worst time of their body. It's the thing that frustrates every cell in their bones and body. It's the most boring time of their life because they don't know who the Father is. When you know the Father, you'll be asked to attend other things because his presence will be the one thing you enjoy most in the world. Because his love is full of love. God is love. And they that do not love do not know God. You see? So what am I charging you today? Relate with the Father. Connect to the Father in prayer. Have a lifestyle of prayer that understands the Father. By Jesus Christ through the help of the Holy Spirit, your life of prayer will be a success. It will be a success. I want you to open your mouth wherever you are and speak to the Father with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Presenting Christ and all that He is. Everything He has done for you. Father, I thank you. Father, I thank you. Oh, Shara Katele Broko Telepaya. Robro Zilemando Roboko Shabra Katalapa. Shari Kozolo Broko Sheke Telepayaraba. Robo Zile Bakashen de Leboko Ze Broko Talapa. Rote Pakatalaba Yako Shele Mayalaba. Thank you, Father. Rosa Makadele Brozolo Pakayarapa. Jarikotoro Brozolo Mandoro Broko Shakatalapa. Pose Reke Brozolo Mandoro Boko Sakatalapa. Rekotolo Brozolo Mandoro Bosalabaka Shekele Bayalaba. Kora Mandoro Bosalabakosha Brakatalapaye. Rose Bakasha Katalapayarabazolo Poko Yereba. Thank you, Father. 
Thank you, Lord. Manda I decree in the name of Jesus that healing is here. Deliverance is here. Understanding is here. Revelation is here. Breakthrough is here in the name of Jesus. I see the hand of God sit on someone's chest. It's healing your lungs in the mighty name of Jesus. Cancer is healing. If you know anyone suffering of cancer, send them this sermon today. I see the power that heals cancer in the mighty name of Jesus. Viruses are leaving in the name of Jesus. Families are getting restored. In the name of Jesus. Ministries are healing. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Your child is getting healed right now. Your husband is being aligned right now. In the name of Jesus. Your wife is being restored. In the name of Jesus. Your body is receiving its healing right now in the name of Jesus. Your finances are shifting right now in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. It's done. Don't repeat it. The next time you address it, thank God. That's how we pray. That's how we have results. Okay? And if you're here right now listening to me and you have never given Jesus Christ your life, you've never committed your life to Christ, I want to give you an opportunity right now to receive him. This man shed his blood for you. This man gave himself that you might live. This is God coming in the flesh through the person of Jesus Christ, that he would shed his blood that you might be free. Do not refuse him who speaketh now. Don't. Just pray these words with me from your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me and being raised for my glory. Today, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. I'm born again. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest.